And welcome to another edition, finally, of Fire in the Mountains. Ricky Wittenberg along with Andy Waddell, our other co-pilot, Justin Edgel, is MIA tonight. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, he will be rejoining us on the next episode, hopefully. He's probably in captivity, and uh, uh, we're checking Brian Lee. We're, we're coming down to Florida and checking you out, buddy. We know what's going on. I, I mean, at this point, the hatred between Justin and Brian Lee is uh, is well known in the internet wrestling community. Fuck Brian Lee. And that's, yes. that's part of the reason why. So, Andy, uh, long time since the show, but uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm more excited than the second time I lost my virginity. Okay. I don't want to. Well, all right. So, we will go straight into the. Uh, what we're doing tonight, we're going to do Fire in the Mountains and then a couple of TV episodes because one of the TV episodes is basically just a recap, and then then we start getting back into the uh, the TV episodes, which I think is actually the bread and butter, Smoky Mountain. I mean, now this Fire in the Mountain, for the love of God, it was a lot better than Volunteer Slam, but still, there's just something about Bob and Dutch in the TV that uh, that I like, So, but uh, we're going to go over the whole call. I just... I just can't get over it because they have such a great chemistry. And I know that they was probably going for like the big, you know, big pay-per-view sounding deal by getting the two different announcers. But it it really distracts from what was a great show. Yeah. And Les Thatcher, I mean, I really like Les Thatcher in general, but I just, the way Bob and Dutch work together, God, I, you can't beat them, and I really, really wish they were the announcers. I think it would bring, it would have elevated the show. It would have made it more enjoyable because Dutch Mantel, anytime things are, God, lax or nothing's going on, Dutch Mantel brings it. He'll he'll fire one off that'll uh, get your attention on on some other things instead of watching a crappy match. Yeah, you would never hear Dutch say, I can't see what they're doing, so what the hell. He would come up with something crazy just to make you be like, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's go straight into the fire on the mountain card. God almighty. I'll be glad when this is over because this is getting confusing. Match number one, Oh No Show Budro against uh, Tim Horner. Now, Andy, this uh, they cut this match down for uh, purposes of showing it on on the commercial tape. It was actually about a, it was over a twenty three minute match. I, they didn't show but about half of that. Um, I don't. I almost don't know what to. Well, okay, I will tell you this: you watch this match, you're not going to be bored just for the simple fact that Buddy Landell is freaking awesome. Because Amen, yeah, Amen. The whole. The whole thing, and if you've not watched this match, it's an I quit match. So what we've got here is the referee holding the microphone, asking whoever if they quit, and then Buddy Landell or Horner at times grabs the microphone. And any time Buddy Landell grabs the microphone, he adds a little bit to it. So think of Magnum TA against Tully Blanchard, but three Stooges variety. And you'll get somewhat (laughs) close. Oh... Yeah, I just couldn't get over it. I mean, I keep remembering this is in 92, and he's over there. Who's your daddy? You're not having kids now, are you? Nah, I don't. You know. Yeah. It, it, he was awesome with it. Yeah. the the One of the better parts of the match is when uh, 
Landale throws Horner into the corner. He comes charging at him, and Horner gets a gets a boot up and hits Landale. And Landale does this awkward flop down onto his face. And the referee grabs the microphone. And he says, "Do you quit, Landale?" He's laying there, has no idea what's going on. He says, "No, I don't need nothing." <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I mean, selling the fact that he doesn't even know what state he's in—that was that was pretty cool. And it it worked out great. And I don't know the the ending. I I see what they were going with with the ending where he does like the natural bridge, but turns it into a leg lock. You know, I kind of see that. But it it was—I don't know. It just—I was looking for something more after everything that Landell threw out there. And then it just, it's like they just had to cut it off quick or something. Yeah. And, and Horner really hadn't been working his leg all that much. So it, it kind of came out of nowhere. And then, yeah, it was like the natural bridge into a, uh, into the submission. I don't know. It, it was like a sharpshooter bridge and a reverse chin lock kind of deal. I don't even know. I'm not exactly sure what the name of that move is, but. An upside-down STFU or something. I don't know. It, it was weird looking. Anyway, so uh, overall that match, though, pretty much not anything to write home about except for Buddy Landell when he had the microphone because the guy can just – he can get the fans to really, really hate him. And you're right, like the who's your daddy and you're not going to have kids anymore. I mean, that crap in 1992 – we take it for granted now. That's not a big deal. I mean, they, hell, they finger blast somebody on TV if you're at the right time of the day, and it's okay. Uh, but in 1992, you couldn't get away with a lot of that stuff, and Buddy Landell somehow was always able to do that kind of stuff, and uh, he's he was just awesome. And, and you go back and watch this stuff now, and you got and you know this is just a few years before Stone Cold, and there's so much of this stuff that you see that they were. You wonder if they went ahead and pushed through with it, if they would have got the bump like Stone Cold did, or if they were just building it up to people like Stone Cold. You know, it, I don't know. It's just one of them what ifs keep running through your head. Oh, yeah. yeah. But so, anyway, yeah, pretty good first match. Um, very long. They cut it down. But uh, for what we saw, just for Buddy Landell's performance, I, I give that a thumbs up. What about you? I give it two thumbs up. All right, match number two, Battle of the Pile Drivers, and it's uh, oh, Ronnie Lord. Garvin and Paul Orndorff. And we see Bouncing Beulah has made her appearance in uh, the front row. With and, a pocketbook the size of a Buick. <laughs> that's the truth. Thatcher, he emphasizes that we cannot have a pin, a disqualification, a countout. It has to be a pile driver to finish this match. Just remember that. Now, this... God, oh my, I love watching, I just, I really like, it doesn't have to be fancy to be fun and a good match. And when two guys like Orndorff and Garvin, who are legit badasses, start wailing on each other and and laying some shots in, it gets your attention because you can watch that and say, man, I know some of this crap is kind of hokey and fake, but them two guys are beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> And that's what you get in this match. I mean, it's just there's nothing fancy about it. It's an old school Southern beat back and forth match, and Orndorff does a heck of a job by getting the fans against him because Ronnie Garvin was a legend in Knoxville, and um, 
East Tennessee, but he had done a, he, it had been 10, 12 years before he was, since he had been a real big deal. And I mean, I know that he was the NWA champion in 87, but it, after the WWF run and him not really being in the region that much, he was not as hot as you would probably think. But Orndorff makes the fans hate him so much that Ronnie Garvin's probably the second most over person on this entire card. Oh, most definitely. It, it was a great back and forth. I mean, the, honestly, half the time you're sitting there wondering, are, you know, are they really? No, 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 they pulled that. Okay, oh, wait a minute. Did they really do it that? No, 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 they pulled it. So they, they definitely sold it. And the way Orndorff interacted with the fans, all I can say is a couple of them better be glad they were wearing their brown pants, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You act real big and bad until Paul Orndorff gets in your face, and then you remember who exa- exactly why you're on that side of the rail. Yes, you know exactly who your daddy is, and it's Mr. Orndorff. <laughs> yeah. he did. Now, during this match, this is, I mean, they do a lot of different stuff, but Orndorff at one point in this match attacks Ronnie Garvin with a plastic Pepsi cup. <laughs> <laughs> and he sells it. That's and he sells it. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, he chokes him with the microphone cord, which is kind of normal, but the, the being attacked by the Pepsi cup, now that was a little out there, but, I mean, they made it work. <laughs> He was going for the paper cut. His product promotion, I guess. I don't. I don't. Not yes. exactly sure. So we we have all kinds of stuff going on. Orndorff blocks a pile driver. Eventually, Ronnie Garvin pulls him down into a pin, and Curtis says, "You can't pin." Garvin takes him out with a sleeper, and now Mark Curtis checks Orndorff to see if he's out, and his hand goes down three times. Garvin lets go. He pins him. <laughs> like we can't have any of these finishes, but we're 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 really racking up to it. Garvin has submitted him basically. He has uh, TKO'd him, and then he tries to pin him. And then Curtis reminds him that he can't pin him. So why was Curtis pulling Orndorff's hand up and down? Because that. <laughs> well, I, well, I have learned two rules about Smoky Mountain wrestling so far. Rule number one is if you're the baby face and you're in any match where you cannot pin somebody, you will try to pin them seven times. <laughs> including Rule- a battle royal. Yes, including <laughs> a battle royal. Rule number two, I will share with you all later. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so then there's another pile. We do have a lot of pile driver attempts back and forth. Uh, Orndorf crotches Ronnie Garvin on a pile driver attempt. He gets Garvin up for a pile driver. Now, now I like this ref bump. A lot of times they look real contrived and you can tell they're coming. Orndorf gets Garvin up for a pile driver, but as he pulls him up, Garvin tries to kick, kick out and he kicks Curtis and knocks him out. Now that was a, I really liked how they set that up and it did. It looked natural. It didn't look like he was just in the way at the right time. So Mark Curtis is out. Orndorff grabs some brass knuckles. He clocks Ronnie Garvin. He wakes Mark Curtis up, and he shows him Garvin's carcass on the canvas. And Mark Curtis looks at Ronnie Garvin. The fans in the front row are are going insane. If I, You just have to see this. They are incensed at Paul Orndorff. I'm pretty sure that 16-year-old girl is ready to come over. I don't think she's probably the one that's actually going to take him out. Because she, there was, there's a young girl in the front row that was really mad. <laughs> she I believe be, that was Bouncing Beulah's granddaughter. Could have been. I think she was on the same camera side. So Danny Davis comes out. Curtis calls for the bell. He says, okay, Garvin's out. Curtis calls for the bell. 
Danny Davis comes out because anytime there's a weird finish and it doesn't go the baby face's way, Danny Davis is the de facto idiot that runs out there to talk to the referee. <laughs> I'm not sure what else he is good for, but he runs out there to talk to the referee. Well, you got to figure if somebody dressing like that is not going to lie to you because they have no need to. Well, he's either that or they're going to use him as a couch, but. I think everybody just, sit down. Let's talk it out. <laughs> we, yeah, let's doctor fill this. So, Orndorff Davis comes out and he said Orndorff has a foreign object. Curtis looks around and he's asking the fans, and they are going completely ape shit. Orndorff just hits the he hits the pile driver to end all pile drivers on Danny Davis. If Owen Hart didn't kill Steve Austin with the pile driver that he did, I don't know how this didn't kill uh, Danny Davis. I for the, I mean it was a jumping pile driver that Davis literally uh, no uh, absolutely no kidding. Once his head hits the canvas, well, not the canvas, but the what it looks like the canvas, the way Orndorff propels him back up he comes off the ground at least a couple of feet and that was God almighty vicious. I'm not, that's one of those pile drivers where you set up and you rewind it and watch it again just because it was that good. Yeah. He went for five foot four to four foot two instantly. Yeah. Orndorff grabs a chair. Um, Curtis takes it. Garvin comes back on Orndorff and he runs him off. And then for no apparent reason, Mark Curtis raises Ronnie Garvin's hand there was no pile driver. There was no pile driver. The official time, according to Smoky Mountain, for this match was 19 minutes and 16 seconds. But this match has never ended. Smoky Mountain is still in business because this match never ended. There, there was no clear-cut winner. You cannot win on a disqualification. And I imagine, I imagine that that is how this match ended. Because... Nobody got pile drove except Danny Davis. So if we're going to do that, then we should have raised Orndorff's hand. Well, Orndorff wasn't there to receive it, so uh, you know Garvin received it for him, kind of like the Academy Awards. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really liked the match. I hated the ending. How about that? Well, I like Danny Davis getting Spock pile drove because that was awesome. But other than that, I hated the ending. Um, what did you actually think of the match as a whole? Once again, it, it, it seems to be an ongoing theme. They they have, out of a five-star rating, they have seven-star matches till they get to the ending, and then you're just like, what the hell just happened? So the, I believe they're getting closer, though. They're getting there. All right, so we'll move on to match number three on the card, and uh, it's the uh, stud stable against the Rock and Roll Express. And Hallelujah. When Sorry. they play the music for the Rock and Roll Express – and they come out, it I, it had to have registered on the Richter scale in Johnson City, Tennessee. I don't think I've ever heard Freedom Hall that loud. I mean, that place was just electric. 1,500 fans, you, you probably thought there was – it sounded like Neyland Stadium. The Monday Night Raw wishes they could have a reaction at any time to what they had when the Rock and Roll Express started coming out there. Yeah. I mean, in 1992, really, the Rock and Roll Express should have been pretty long in the tooth just from the fact they had been going since, like, 83 or 84. But you they couldn't get enough of the Rock and Roll Express having Ricky Morton back, the first night back. God, the fans were electric. That was That's one of those pops where 
you're, you wish you was sitting there just to see how, how loud it really was. Because when it comes across on TV that loud, you know that that was a pop. Yeah, they probably were sitting there like, what in the hell? Yeah, they still love us. Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, so um, Ricky Morton grabs a mic, and he says that they're going to rock their ass off. Now, I also found this kind of interesting because usually, especially back then, the faces never cussed. And I know it was just ass, but still, Ricky Morton <laughs> grabbing the man, that got a... I mean, that got a pop, too, just for the fact that uh, I get, oh, Ricky Morton's ass. <laughs> he was referring to everyone's donkeys they rode to the arena. It wasn't nothing bad. It was just, you know, animals. Ah, gotcha. As we're not in Laredo, Texas, though, so we we are in Upper East Tennessee. All right. Well, that's true. We have mules. So, Fuller, he walks down the ringside, and he faces the fans. He... <laughs> He, as he's walking down the ringside, berating the fans, he is obviously cock slapping every one of them as he walks down that front row. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> it, uh, it was a humorous sight. Ricky Morton, uh, he dominates early uh, for the match, which is the crowd is just going crazy. And then, of course, by the underhanded means and the double team and stud stable gets the upper hand. They beat Morton to death for 10 minutes, like always. Fuller, he gets this high bear hug kind of deal, and he slams Morton down. And that was brutal. I don't even know what move that was. It was a high bear hug into a Brock Lesnar-esque slam that just looked like it could have broke Ricky Morton in half. So, I, I, thought he, I thought he took the bump wrong. I mean, it, it did. It looked like it killed him. Yeah, well, I've seen Fuller do that two or three times before, so I, it, he does it on purpose. It just makes it look like it's killing somebody. So the fans are trying to wheel Morton back into the end of the match, and of course, eventually they does. Robert Gibson's he's in the corner; he's asleep. Uh, Robert Gibson has got to be the luckiest guy in the world, and I like Robert Gibson as a as a person. He's a nice guy. He can't talk very well. Um, he's okay as a wrestler, but we saw him plenty in Smoky Mountain going so far. And he didn't do anything to really impress us. And then all of a sudden, now he gets his tag team partner back, and we have five-star matches with him wrestling about six seconds. And uh, he still gets the same paycheck. So Robert Gibson may be the smartest man in the world. <laughs> well, and, it's, and it goes back to that, you know, some people are just made for certain types of things. And... You can even see for what little bit he was in there, his confidence is back up to, you know, the mid eighties level where he he's ready to go because he's got, you know, Morton there to carry him, you know, and stuff like that. Well, he had about and, six hours out on the ring to, to freshen up before he got back in the ring. Well, that's true too. So, you know, so, I mean, you know, it, it, he's just one of those, he needs to be in a tag team because the singles thing just wasn't ever going to work out for him. No. So Morton does get the tag. Uh, Gibson wakes up long enough to beat up the stud stable. All four men now brawling in the ring. Morton gets dumped. Fuller holds Gibson for golden, but he ducks and golden nails Fuller. And then we get a double drop kick on Jimmy Golden. Fuller pulls the ref out. I thought that was, that was going to be the end of the match, so that was a good false finish because Fuller pulls the ref out of the ring to break up the pin. Ricky Morton beats Fuller up on the outside. Then we have Gibson has a pin but no ref. He gets a sleeper. 
Then Robert Fuller nails him from behind and drags Golden on top of him. But as he's going back out the ring, Ricky Morton jumps in the ring and puts uh, Gibson on top of Golden. And we get the one, two, three out of that. Uh, the rock and roll go over, but then the stud stable, uh, they just decimate the rock and roll express after the match. I mean, they leave them laying in the middle of the ring, which if you want to get your heat back after you lose, that's the way to do it. <laughs> you get pinned and then you just beat the guys until they can't even get out of the ring and you walk out with your head and that just progresses the storyline. You know that that's going to keep going. Yeah. And, th and this finish shows how to do tag team wrestling, right? Neither team looks weaker for the way it finished. Both teams are still in their respective, you know, face versus heel cam. And the, you know, the crowd goes wild. Everybody goes wild. And it goes back to what rule number two of Smoky Mountain Wrestling is, which I will unveil later on in the show. Okay. All right. So the match time was 15 minutes, 41 seconds. Uh, we get to see that entire match because they're not going to cut the rock and roll match short. Damn it. <laughs> Hell no. All right. So, uh, overall that match to me was, uh, it was a typical rock and roll express match. Cause Ricky Morton plays the, he plays Ricky Morton. I mean, that's what we call it now. <laughs> you play Ricky Morton, but, uh, good outing. I really, and I love the stud stable. So it was a good match all the way around. I give it a 10. A 10. <laughs> so they're three for three so far on the night. Match number four. It's the Smoky Mountain World title match. And it's Justin's favorite, primetime Brian Lee. Fuck Brian Lee. Against the dirty white boy, Tony Anthony. He spoke to us from the beyond. And if the dirty white boy loses, he must leave Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So... This is a basic slugfest. At uh, some point in the match, Wright grabs Lee's leg and distracts him. Dirty White Boy clotheslines him over the top. Bouncing Beulah was pissed. Let's just say that. That was one of the <laughs> moments where you see her, and I, she was about to tear Ron She was about to legitimately put Ron White right in the wheelchair for the rest of his life if she could have got a hold of him. Yeah, with those bricks in that purse, yeah, she, she would have crippled him for life and beyond. The dirty white boy just pounds on him for a few minutes. Lee, of course, with the, with his, his um, whatever he does, like the hulking up. I don't even, I don't even know what he lee he prime times up, I guess. And then no, it, here in the south we call that a convulsion. <laughs> it's what it looks like. Is now I will give him this. He hits a big impressive drop kick. His power slam looks awesome. I mean, so some of his comeback moves are always cool. He knocks the Dirty White Boy out of the ring, and uh, Ron Wright gives Dirty White Boy a foreign object. He clocks him with it. He pins him. You think that probably is the end of the match. One, two, Lee kicks out. Ron Wright gives Mark Curtis a piece of his mind. And uh, Lee, he jumps halfway across the ring on that clothesline, which th that's a cool move. He does that sometimes, and he, he looks like he flies 33 feet through the air when he does that clothesline, but it always looks good. That should be his damn finisher. For real. Uh, he jumps off the top looking. At, yeah. Right after he does this clothesline where he looks like a gazelle, he jumps off the top rope looking like a 890 pound gorilla that has no idea the concept of up or down. Hey, see this, this is what bugs me about Lee. And I mean, I know we give him crap all season so far, but 
He is one of those wrestlers that was not ready yet. He he had all the skills there, and with a little bit more seasoning, I believe he'd have been all right. But he got pushed into this too quick, and you know you start seeing it come around now. But now it's too late. Everybody's done sired on him. Yeah, and he's a natural heel. Some guys are faces, and some guys are yes. heel. And he's he's not a face. And when he does an interview where he can actually turn his personality loose as a heel, it looks it, it's so much more natural. And it, I, I believe the fans would have reacted to that better than him trying to be the, like you say, the Hulk Hogan-esque person of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Which, we, in hindsight, that's easy for us to say. We, and I don't blame Cornette for what he did because, like, we've talked about this already on the show, but he wanted Terry Taylor. He wanted Brad Armstrong. He gets either one of those guys, either one of them. And it's a whole different Smoky Mountain out of the ball, right out of the chute, because both of those guys can translate to the fans a lot better than Brian Lee could in 1992. And then they would have had time to bring him along, and then you've got a future star. But, you know, you take what you're dealt, and I understand why he done it, and but it's just one of those, if if somebody could go back in time and redo it a little bit, you know, hey, give the kid a little bit more time, give Dirty White Boy the title from the start, that way you got a heel to, for everybody to root against. Yeah, or, I mean, if you did get Terry Taylor in there, have LeBron Lee be his protege. I mean, they're both from Florida. They, Besides the fact Lee's eight foot taller than Terry Taylor, they, they're kind of similar in look. And Terry Taylor, we could have had Terry Taylor as the face champion with Lee as his enforcer and, and big buddy. And then Terry Taylor eventually starts souring on Brian Lee because he's getting, he's getting mad because Brian Lee's getting some of the spotlight, do a turn. And Terry Taylor is a hill in Smoky Mountain with the title, fighting against Brian Lee six, eight months into it with Lee yeah. challenging for the title. Hell, that would have been a whole lot better. But you well, can't blame Cornette because he tried to get Terry Taylor. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at what the WWF did with uh, Shawn Michaels and Diesel. You know, you could have had that same dynamic. You know, the smaller champion, his big buddy enforcer. One of them gets tired of the other trying to overshadow him, and then you have that conflict, and boom, you've got ratings out the ass. Yeah, anyway, so what happens in this match is um, Lee gets a cancellation. Mark Curtis... Uh, this may be our our video caption for the week because he <laughs> yes. places his hand on Ron Wright's head. It looks like he's trying to invoke the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, I, I if waiting. Ron Wright wasn't already in the wheelchair, as soon as he put his hand on his head, he'd have been laying on the ground. I was waiting on any minute for him to holler out, be healed. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. And if you're in the South and you've ever been to Revival, you know, you've seen it. You, that is what he was doing. I'm not sure why, but that's what was going on. Wow. And so then we have some guy, to, um, uh, and I, I believe it may be the Mongolian Mahler, uh, comes into the ring and he clotheslines Brian Lee, and the Dirty White Boy gets the pins. And the fans pop. <laughs> Except that now there are two fans that pop in the front row, and they're both uh, mid-20s. I don't know. They're, they're, they're guys. And yeah, they they're smart like me and Ricky. Yeah, they are um, standing way too close to Bouncing Beulah. And she was not happy that Dirty White Boy won, and at that point, she was about ready to pick up her Buick and enforce it 
on those two gentlemen standing next to her. You've heard of Southern Justice? That's what she's talking about. <laughs> she was about to give it to them. Uh, I, I don't know what happened, but they they somehow survived her wrath. But, uh, okay, overall, I mean, that's a quick 12, 14-minute match and a title change. Uh, I, as far as the match, th- those for some reason, and I don't know why, because I love Dirty White Boy, but his matches with Brian Lee, none of them have been very good that we've saw so far. Now they may have some coming up that are better, but what I've saw so far out of, out of, uh, dirty white boy and Brian Lee, they, they just don't click for some reason. Yeah. And I mean, and they, they, there's a lot of things, a lot of wrestling has to do with chemistry and being able to read off your opponent, your partner and all that. And like I say, they, these two just don't have that with each other. Maybe it'll develop, maybe not. We'll we'll just have to wait and find out. Yeah, so now we go backstage with Brian Lee. And he says that some big freak hit him with an elbow, but it wasn't an ordinary elbow. Um, It was the inside of his elbow. He hit him with a clothesline. It was a clothesline, damn it. It it was not an ordinary elbow. No, it was because it was a clothesline. The problem with Brian Lee at this point is he doesn't even know the difference between an elbow and a clothesline, and he was the champion for how many ever months. Okay, so um, overall, I would say I would just give that match a thumbs in the middle, basically, uh, except I'll give a thumbs up for the winner. We'll we'll say I'm happy with that. Yes. Uh, Main event. Now, see, now that's something else, too. Your title (laughs) was not your Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Championship was not the main event. His first real major defense is not the main event. That's that's all you need to know about. What what was the other card that that we didn't see, but they built up with? He had Ronnie Garvin. Um, Bluegrass Brawl. Was it Bluegrass Brawl that we missed? That yeah, we didn't have I believe a video it was Bluegrass of? Brawl. Anyway, whatever that one was, it was it was a tag team match. So he hasn't had a big card defense at all. And this wasn't the main event. Our main event, which should have been the main event, is the barbed wire cage Smoky Mountain tag team title match. Fantastics against the Heavenly Bodies. And yes, uh, yes, yes. right out of the gate, I see Tommy... Young is at ringside. I did. I know that. I mean, he never worked technically. I don't guess in Smoky Mountain, but him and Cornette was good buddies. So it's cool to see Tommy Young hanging around. And uh, Cornette grabs the house mic, says they're not going to wrestle in a barbed wire cage tonight. Basically, he does that same. I'm going to tie this up in lit- litigation until Bob Armstrong's dead because he's already an old fossil. And uh, the Fantastics come out of nowhere. They've had enough. They chase the Heavenly Bodies around the ring. And then, for some unknown reason, instead of continuing out the back of the arena, they decide to run into the ring to get away from the Fantastics. The last place they'll ever look for you, sir. Yeah, the the very last place that you would ever expect them to go, considering there's barbed wire all around the the cage that is enclosing the ring. Uh, the wooden cage, actually. Now, that's Tennessee right there, by God. Yes, we too before that shit. <laughs> well, we invented cage matches, so. And it was like chicken wire cage back in the day when uh, they actually invented the cage match around here. So, this was not very far from that. We have the no. the wood and barbed wire. 
And I would like to add, before we go any further, this is where rule number two of Smoky Mountain Wrestling comes in. If you have a peroxide bleach blonde hair and a mullet, you will end up bleeding at a major card. <laughs> Ricky Morton, both the Fantastics, it, it, Brian Lee at the first main card, it, it, it is a thing, I guess because blood shows up on white, that if you have peroxide hair, you will bleed before the night's over with. What about Buddy Landell and the I Quit match? He didn't care. <laughs> His buddy. He, he, didn't you see the brown growing out there? He had uh, the brown roots showing. Same thing with Horner. He had it cut too short to be an actual mullet. So, I will see, those this. two don't even though Stan Lane was wearing his impressive weave and keeping it held together by the headgear, he even bladed. And I thought, man, now that's nasty <laughs> right there. <laughs> you got this uh, this hair that you've had implanted, and uh, you've paid good money for it, and you blade. And it was right at the end of the match. So, but so yeah, all four men bleed in this match. Stan Lane bleeds very late. He he should have just not bladed at that point. But. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot to say about this. You can't call spots here. Uh, they, they play up the danger of the barbed wire early, but they, they don't immediately get through into the barbed wire. They make it count when it first happens to make it a big deal. Because when it does finally happen, Tom Pritchard looks like he just sat on a – he looks like he just had barbed wire shoved straight up his ass when he first gets it. So – you you get the point that the barbed wire will cut you. And they've shown that on TV leading up to this, how dangerous the barbed wire is. So I do like that. And uh, both Fultons finally get into the barbed wire, and they both bleed buckets, because especially Bobby Fulton, my God, he bleeds. He, he bleeds walking down the street to the mailbox, I think. <laughs> it was that time, sir. It was that time. Uh, it, it, uh, he's, just, he's just shy of uh, Ric Flair. We're going to have a gusher tonight, Art. <laughs> Squirty squirt. Uh, so Cornette gets barred from ringside during this match, and he throws an absolute hissy fit. And then later on in the match, not very much later, actually. I mean, he comes almost immediately right back out. He throws the racket into the ring over the top of the cage. Pritchard gets it. Armstrong rips the racket away from Tom Pritchard as he's about to hit Fulton with it. He falls backwards, and Bob, I, guess, I think it was Jackie that gets the quick roll-up for the pin and the title, and the fans are going to be going home happy. So, um, I'm not – Andy, what do you think of this match? I, I'm, I wasn't entirely uh, – the, the match itself, once again, it was excellent match. They sold everything good. The ending bothered bother me a lot because, all right, it's no disqualification. Pretty much anything goes. Everybody's in there. Why grab the racket? Why not let Jackie, like, take it away from him and use it for the win? Or, you know, it, it taints the win for the good guys. I, I don't get why they keep going back to this, it seems like, at every match. Yeah, I mean, there's always this thing, and I don't know what it is, that they can have some really good matches and then not good finishes with them. I, and I don't get it. I don't, I don't pretend to understand that sometimes the booking just gets in the way at the end of the matches. Like even on the title change with dirty white boy and, and Brian Lee, it was a shock to see this bald, fat, short dude with one string of hair 
coming out of nowhere and clocking Brian Lee. But he hits him with a not so, – now, now, that's not Brian Lee's fault. This guy didn't hit a real good clothesline. But he hits it out of nowhere, and then Tony Anthony gets the pin, and that's kind of an anticlimactic finish. Then we get another anticlimactic finish here with – and this – I mean, this – we saw the brawl, that backstage brawl from the uh, other card where yes. they fought out into the parking lot. Where was that kind of fire? I mean, they was beating the crap out of each other. And yeah, this just, That was one of those where you think it's real. You know, you, you honestly forget for a moment that it's all set up. You think they are, they, that something's went wrong and they are mad at each other. Yeah, because they was hitting each other with anything they could get going down that hall. And in this match... Maybe it's just because they was in the confines of the cage, so they couldn't do as much because there was barbed wire. I don't know, but I still didn't like the finish either. Um, it just a, a quick roll-up because Armstrong takes away the racket, which shouldn't have been illegal because they're fighting in a barbed wire cage. Yeah. I mean, my God, if they no. threw a chainsaw over the damn cage, it should have still been legal. Yeah. You know, I could understand, you know, if after you cut off one limb, you need to stop. But, you know, yeah, let the chainsaw be legal. Yeah. So anyway, that that was the main event, but the fans do get to go home happy. So, uh, that's you don't send the fans home mad. You always have Hulk Hogan at the end, flexing and playing to the crowd in the WWF. Well, in Smoky Mountain, one way or the other, the fans are going to go home happy because the good guys will prevail, which is fine. I just wish it would have been in a different way this time. Yeah, definitely, because they, they don't get to go home like the good guys. It's like, you know, if it wasn't for the commissioner, you would have lost you wouldn't have lost this match and not been champion. No, let them do it on their own, you know. Like I say, Cornette throws in the racket, use their own medicine against them, get the pin, everybody goes home happy, and then there's no controversy. Although, that will probably set up some angles going forward because of how it did happen. Because we go backstage... And Tom Pritchard's mad, and Cornette says if a rematch isn't signed within 24 hours, he's going to sue Bob Armstrong until he's broke. And he mentions that they shouldn't have messed with the racket because anything went. So they were maybe that's where they was trying to head with this. They they didn't want that to be a definitive um, ending to the storyline. They needed some reason to for them to still be feuding, and that would give them the reason. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, I can see how they'd use that. But then again, it's the world title. You know, it's the tag team titles. That right there is pretty much reason enough to continue a feud. But yeah. I, I see what you're saying there. That that could have been what they was going for. I just don't think they executed it good. Right. So then we, then we go backstage with the Fantastics. Jackie Fulton says it's the toughest match he's ever been in. Bobby says that with uh, Cornette out of the way, they was able to prevail just like they knew they could. Oh, shut up, Jackie. You've been in four matches. Of course, it's the toughest <laughs> one you've been in. <laughs> yeah. How many Barbar Cage matches have you been in you ever? Uh, that was yeah. First. You know, he's been in five, what, five grand total matches. You know, one of them, about, yeah, of course, that was the roughest one. Oh, God. Okay, so overall, now we have saw the Volunteer Slam commercial tape, and then we've seen this, and the Volunteer Slam just completely blew chunks. Yes. Now, this one, they had five matches. They pretty much show, they don't cut it out too much. Only a couple of matches get cut down. But we see a good sample size of all five matches. And I think this card just 
far and away blows the volunteer slam out of the water. It, it wasn't even close. I mean, the, I, we can nitpick it because that's what we do, but, you know, it, it was, yes, far and away better than the volunteer slam. There, it wasn't even close. All the matches from top to bottom were good. The lighting was a hell of a lot better. They've still got the announced team. I'd rather have, you know, Bob and Dutch, but I can live with them. And, the, you know, a little bit of tweaking here and there, and this this was an awesome match. I mean, awesome night. Yeah. And if they would have kind of went that way with the Volunteer Slam, like we talked about in the Volunteer Slam review show, and just built off the angles they were doing and, and not had a tournament as the Volunteer Slam and done the tournament on TV and then had blow-off matches, that would have been a lot better. I think this proves it. All they needed to do is just have straight feud matches and they come out a lot better. Well, it goes back to something there. Even even now, wrestling promotions have a hard time. People want to see a story. Yeah, the title's important, but the story is what sells your tickets, what sells the pay-per-views. That, and, and if you don't have no reason for the fans to be involved, they're not going to show up and volunteer slam proved that this one proves the other side of the coin. If you give them a reason to show up and get them invested in it, they will show up, they will make noise and you'll have a hell of a lot better pay-per-view. Absolutely. All right. So going out of the, uh, fire in the mountains, fire on the mountain card, uh, definitely highly recommend to watch it. Uh, every match gives you something to see. Buddy Landell steals the show. Not not from his wrestling, just from the way he acted in his match. Uh, and um, I thought the rock and roll and the, probably the stud stable was the well. It had the it had the best finish of the night. I liked the way that finished. I think Ronnie Garvin and Paul Orndorff was the match of the night. What? Yeah. Uh, was that was that your match of the night also? Gar, see that's that's it goes back to what we was talking about. Except the finish, Garvin. Garvin and Orndorff, yes, they had the best match of the night, but if you could give one for the finish, you'd have to go to the Rock and Roll Express because that is a good guy finish. You know, they tried to cheat you. You turned the tables on them. You win. Everybody's happy. I, yeah, but still, I'd have to go with Garvin and Orndorff for the match because it, it was the best match as far as that goes. All right, so we will uh... – We'll take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side of this, and we will start the two TV episode recaps coming at you right on the other side. You're listening to Fire in the Mountain. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place Venetian's Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and placevenation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to Be podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with main event, Mission Indie Possible, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. And relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series, led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. we got sports covered, too, with the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott, 
Dr. G, Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, the Kings of Sport, led by live audio wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast and the TJ McLoon Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular. And if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlaceBNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Island in Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceBNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the pro wrestling-only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in-depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's one-two punch of Exile on Bad Street and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Teams Back Again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course, there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. And welcome back to Fire in the Mountain, Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, podcast. Yes, listen to all of our uh, Place to Be Nation, PWO, PTBN shows. Plenty of good stuff out there. Exile on Bad Street every week comes out. Or not, well, not every week, but specials on that. But uh, every week between the sheets, grid stuff, where the big boys play as they're going through WCW. We're going through Smoky Mountain. Uh, my God, Andy, we... We're, we're going to get to the point where we're going to have the, on the PWO, PTBN, we're going to have somebody cover Memphis. We're going to have AWA, maybe. It's it's just out of control. Yeah, just anything you want to hear, you'll be able to find it with us for long. I mean, it, there are fans all over the place, and sooner or later, we'll get everything covered. That's right. Okay, so um, we're going to come back here, and these two episodes we'll probably do pretty quickly. Uh, especially this first episode, because it is a recap show, pretty much. Um, Smoky Mountain TV that airs on August 15th, 1992, TV show number 29, Avery County High School in Newland, North Carolina. And uh, we are at the desk. Dutch is elated that the Dirty White Boy won the heavyweight title, but he's upset that the body's lost. He says Down and Dirty with Dutch is going to be a big surprise, and... Dirty White Boy and Dixie Dynamite is the main event for the title. And um, we show highlights of the title match and then to the desk with Ron Wright and the Dirty White Boy. And uh, Ron Wright says that some spectator is the one that took Lee out. <laughs> and now in Johnson City, Tennessee, we got some weird-looking people. You don't have anybody that looks like that. No, not even remotely close. You can even go to some biker bars and I'll see dudes look like that. No, so... Ron Wright said he was having a heart attack at the time. I guess that's why Mark Cur- Mark Curtis was giving him his last rides. I may have somebody fought him and I bet him and I showed him and I scrolled him and I told So he says that he was trying to get the referee to get an ambulance out there. So he don't know what happened. That Ron Wright is just gold. I mean, nobody can beat. I love Cornette and the stuff that he pops off with. 
But Ron Wright to be that old school, I mean really old school, Kingsport, Tennessee, Southern man, you know, used to be the Southern Hill that's now the manager of the bad guys. He's perfect. You couldn't have, you could not have get anybody better than him. And the thing about it is, I don't know about how it is up north. I ain't never spent much time up there. But here in the south, we know old people that do that exact same thing. They'll pull the heart attack, the anxiety, or something if they ain't getting attention. Just like, I mean, he plays it to perfection. And that's what makes it relate to the fans down here is the fact that we know people that do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a shoot. That's true. I mean, this actually happens down here. So... Uh, Dirty White Boy says all he knows is that he wound up on top of him. And Bob Armstrong comes out. He says that he's going to strip the Dirty White Boy of the title if he finds out they had anything to do with the mystery man. And and in Justin's absence, I know the one thing that he did say when he's watching these episodes is he changed his freaking shirt. <laughs> yes. Yes, Lord, he did. Bob I was Arm- so happy. I was like, well, I hope he put deodorant on too. And then we would have a great commissioner. Okay, so desk with Tim Horner, and uh, oh God, Tim Horner says he wants a shot at the title. He says he don't know if he can beat him, but he just wants a shot. Now, I do like the way they're going to play this up. Tim Horner as the Mighty Mouse underdog against the Dirty White Boy, because that's really the way it should be. Tim Horner's not a big guy. Now, he's been over on Smoky Mountain, and they're one of their top faces, but he's not really been in the title picture since Brian Lee's been the champion. And I like that he comes out and says that he doesn't know if he can beat him. He just wants a chance. That gets you more sympathy than coming out and saying, I know I can beat you, and I'm going to win that Smoky Mountain title. He even admits in the interview he don't know if he can beat him, but he wants a chance. So whether you like Tim Horner or don't like Tim Horner, they're playing that off absolutely the correct way. Well, that goes back to relating to the fans because you know as well as I do, Southern boys, they'll tell you straight up, look, I don't know if I whip your ass or you whip mine, but one of us is going to the doctor today. You know, so it works out. Yeah. So we see highlights of the cage match. Um, Not much else to say. We've saw it. Down and dirty with Dutch. Killer Kyle. Uh, But he's got Jim Cornette in tow. Oh, yeah. The 18-inch dildo and what is Cornette? The 5-foot, 9-inch dildo? Uh, yeah, about, about that. Uh, some, yeah, somewhere close. In there. So Cornette says that Kyle can speak, but there ain't nobody in the area worth having a conversation with. Now, if you, if you want to get a guy over, that's pretty good. <laughs> he, he, oh yeah. He says, uh, no, oh yeah, no. He said something about being colder than a banker's heart. And, uh, I, I don't exactly enjoy that line. <laughs> I, I resemble that remark. Did that touch a little bit too close? Just a little bit too close to home. Yeah. Now you know what it's like when you make fun of Dixie Dynamite. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Now I I get the taste of my own medicine. So Mike Sampson comes out and he holds up a board for Killer Kyle. And Cornette is there because Killer Kyle and Dixie Dynamite apparently are going to have a boxing match, which we never have enough of those in wrestling. After you've seen Mr. T and... Roddy Piper, uh, that's enough. But we're going we're going to have a boxing match between Killer Kyle and Dixie, and Killer Kyle does break the board, but it looks like he also broke his hand, <laughs> and the board did not break in the way that you would expect it to break when he hit it. Um, uh, we can't do this justice. You would have to see the video 
of how this board breaks because I know it's gimmicked and it did not, and it still did not break correctly, did it, Andy? No, it's uh, anybody that's seen like karate demonstrations where they break the board with the grain of the wood. Yeah. It's like they had it turned up the wrong way and the board broke long ways instead of horizontal. It, it, you just have to watch it. Go back and watch the clip and the look on Killer Kyle's face, you'll love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because even he kind of looks like, oh, shit. I pulled a lead. So anyway, so down and dirty with Dutch, we were out of that. Desk with Paul Orndorff. Um, he's going off on Ronnie Garvin and Bob Armstrong comes out and interrupts him. And he wants to know if he had anything to do with the interference in the match. And Paul Orndorff basically says he didn't, he didn't have anything to do with it. He don't even know what happened. So this is going to be an ongoing saga. It appears, uh, the what's going on with Brian Lee and who's, who's behind it all. We get the highlights of the stud stable and the Rock and Roll Express, and then we are at the desk with the Rock and Roll Express. And Gibson uh, mumbles something about t- taking care of business, and then Ricky Morton cuts his Ricky Morton promo. Uh, Andy, anything to add to that? Uh, you, you just got to love it. You know, finally, Gibson, he doesn't have to carry the weight. He can just, uh, we're going to whip you, boy. Back to you, Ricky. Uh, it's almost like the road warriors old interviews where they scream for a few seconds and tell them about it, Paul. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what it reminds you. Except Ricky Morton is actually not even as imposing as Paul. <laughs> no, I see that's something I forget from my childhood. Cause in my childhood, these two guys were like, you know, almost godlike in the South. And then I watch it now and I'm like, he ain't. He's about my height. He can't be that tall. He's like Ray Mysterio size, you know, maybe just a little bit taller, but oh, well, I don't know. It's just, just different perspectives over time, I guess. Well, that's why it's, he sells so well when he's getting the crap kicked out of him because he's not a big guy. Uh, that, oh, that, yeah, definitely. And then, then Gibson comes in, supposedly the bruiser, and I don't know why we believe it, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> he he just looks like he's just looking for anybody's ass to kick that he can. And uh, Robert Gibson coming across is um is just a bad mamma jamma. I, I, I don't think in the grand scheme of things that uh, uh, that really works, but it works. So here we that we yeah. For, it. It's one of those things that by all rights this tag team should not work, but it does, and you just got to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I, and I know most people probably that are smart that listen to this show, because uh, you listen to many podcasts if you're listening to this, and you've heard all the stories, so we try not to, like, rehash everything, but the Rock and Roll Express was, I mean, they was formed, I think, unless I'm misremembering, is basically Memphis was trying to run more than one area, so they were like the, they needed somebody to play off of the fabulous ones. So they created the Rock and Roll Express to be in the other town that the Fabs wasn't in. And then the Rock and Roll Express take off, and they're way bigger than the Fabs ever were. Oh, yeah. And and it just goes back to you never know what's going to stick. Yeah. So um, main event, so like I said, this was a a recap episode. And uh, is that a mistake? Let's talk about that real quick. Because, well, in next week, uh, we get a TV commercial in the next episode that advertises that you can buy the volunteer slam finally on VHS, which 
I feel sorry for anybody that paid for that. <laughs> um, but we just come off of the big card in Johnson City. You know they're going to release a commercial tape, and they give the good stuff away on TV. I mean, they showed quite a bit of the Dirty White Boy Lee match. They showed a lot of the stu- – they showed most of the Stud Stable and Rock and Roll Express match. So when t- tape comes out, eventually, you're like, well, we've seen it all on TV already. Yeah, but that goes back to, you know, what did I miss? Well, we know you didn't miss nothing, but who, you know, you don't who know knows that. at the time? Oh, yeah, that's true. They, so, main event. Because you got to figure if they, if they missed the main, you know, the main matches, and then for some reason they were out of town this Saturday, this is before TiVo or any of this, they might not even know that it happened. The hell They're trying to figure out why they got a new champion. Uh, that's possible, but I mean, it ain't like we're techno- technologically that far behind. We had forehead VCRs by then, and we didn't even have to have the remote that plugged into the VCR. We actually had the wireless remotes, so hey, you could record Smoky Mountain, for God's sakes, if you knew how to set a VCR. Oh, yeah, some of us rich people. I see how it is. <laughs> oh, we going to talk about that? Okay. That says a guy Be that way, you cold banker. Hey. Hey, hey, says a guy that lived on Poor Farm Road. Poor Farm Road. <laughs> yes, people. You can't that was, help it. That's a shoot. That's what. I, that's the name of the place I lived at. So Sad but true. Okay. Sad but true. All right. So uh, main event, Dirty White Boy Dynamite. Bob Armstrong is arguing with Dutch about how much they got out of No, not Bob Armstrong. Bob Cottle is arguing with Dutch about how much they got out of Killer Kyle. Bob Cottle's kind of mad. He's like, well, you didn't get any more out of him than I did. And truthfully uh he did because at least Cornette spoke for him so i love it when bob and dutch fight with each other though yeah i, I don't know it kind of sounds familiar sometimes yeah <laughs> dutch says do not attack my journalistic integrity <laughs> uh the, now this was a pretty good tv main event um dixie dynamite is over just enough to give a threat that there is a outside chance somehow that he could win the title um, and the fans are really, really into Dixie Dynamite, but you, you, we know, or if you've watched enough to know, you would know that there's no way they're going to have Dirty White Boy lose the title right after he takes it. And, uh, this is a pretty good TV main event. Killer Kyle comes out. He hits Dixie Dynamite, Dixie Dynamite in the knee with a blackjack. And then Dirty White Boy actually works the knee over for the next few seconds to show that Dixie Dynamite has an injured knee, and then like an idiot, Dixie Dynamite kind of fires back up, and then he tries to slam him. He falls over, Dirty White Boy, even, and he gets a handful of tides for the pin, and that's uh, that's your TV main event. And still it goes back to why does the face have to be dumb? I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, I don't know. It just you, know, you go for pins in a no, disqual- or a no pinfall match. I don't know. It's just weird. Now, this was 1992, and it was a blackjack to the knee. Do you think that this gave old Jeff, was this the, was this the inspiration for the Nancy Kerrigan attacks? I believe it was, because let's face it, Nancy, she was kind of white trashish. I mean, Galuli had the porn star mustache. It's a possibility. I'm, I'm leaning toward your theory here. Well, I mean, it's the first, uh, one of the first examples of getting whacked in the knee. So Dixie Dynamite is at the desk with Bob Cottle, and uh, he's whining about what Killer Kyle did to him because he's an idiot. But he says that he's still standing, 
And Dixie D is as feist as can be. And if you don't believe, just ask me. (laughs) (laughs) It don't even make any sense. (laughs) It makes sense to me. If you want to see how fast he can be, you just have to ask he. Uh, uh, Tupac, you are not. Okay, so we're (laughs) out of this episode. (laughs) Yes. Uh, at least you finished it well. So we're out of this episode, and uh, we'll go straight into episode number 30, which was August the 22nd, 1992. We're still in the same damn place. Wherever in North Carolina we was at before. And I think we're going to be here for several more TV tapings. And now Dutch is, uh, Dutch has messed his hair up. He's wearing a sleeveless shirt, and he looks like that he may, may have recently been on Freebird Mountain. I hate to give, I have to give credit where credit is due. I was watching this and my wife happened to walk by and of all the people, she made the observation. Doesn't he look like that mankind fella? He really, he kind of does. And just with his hair down and no no sleeves and the hairy arms. I'm like, Oh my God, he does. He does. Yeah. So see, I, I married smart. There you go. Just uh, let's bring her on the show next time and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I can hear this going on. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no clue. She'll know about that. She knows who mankind is, so at least she's got that going for her. Yeah, I had to give her that because I, I didn't. It didn't even register. I'm like, he he does. He looks just like him. Now he, they announced that the main event's going to be Garvin and Orndorff, and Dutch Mantel says he's going to write all the matches going on with. With the Olympic fever going around, so that's just just out right there. You know, well, this is going to be entertaining because Dutch Mantel has come up with some way to keep this more interesting this week, and uh, that was the nineteen around the ninety two Olympics. Uh, where was they? Barcelona ninety two. We wasn't in America. We wasn't in Atlanta on ninety six, so it wasn't in America. Yeah, so it might have been Barcelona. Like you say, I was thinking maybe Atlanta, but you're right. That no, was, was ninety six. So. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so match number one, uh, the idiot that was holding the board the last time, Mike Sampson, uh, the guy that's holding the board for Killer Kyle against Tim Horner. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Hey, diddle, diddle, the kitty and the fiddle, huh? Okay, so uh, true or false, <laughs> let's, let's go with this. Uh, Tim Horner gives the lightning bolt to the child. That he, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I can't do it. Um, Tim Horner selectively yes, picks just, out a child I, I, during every uh, every show to give the lightning bolt to. And okay, I want to save you from this from yourself. He gives it to the child that he sees has a single mother there because he wants to diddle her. How's that? That works better than what we have got <laughs> in the notes. Because <laughs> I, 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 we don't want to go where you're wanting to go. Yeah. Yeah. We, we well we would, but even for us, that's we're, that's almost too low for even us. <laughs> yeah. And besides, Tim is shameless but not blameless. There you go. He's not in the Jared level territory yet. No, he's not a Jackie Wan. Okay, so. Um, this, uh, the, the, during the match, there's a, I don't even remember what move it was, but Dutch rates Horner's move at 2.3. <laughs> Bob Cottle goes off. He was like, that's at least a 9.5. Uh, Bob Cottle to play off a of Dutch. He just, they act like they hate each other, but you can tell that those guys love each other. And, uh, 
but so he keeps, and then he, Bob asked him to rate it a move that Horner hits perfectly. And he said, like, it's so bad. I can't even rate it at all. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's just some of those announced teams that enhance the action instead of taking away from it or distracting. And these two are right up there with uh, the King and, uh, oh crap. I went black. JR, Help me out, Rick. JR. JR, yes. The King and JR, these two are right up there with them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're the most underrated duo probably ever. So, um, why does a guy named Samson have short hair? Uh, I mean, inherently, should a guy with the name Samson not have flowing long locks instead of a rat tail? That, that's why Tim Horner was able to beat the crap out of him. He got his hair cut off. Yeah, it was an extended squash. Uh, there's not much to say about this match. Dutch Mantel keeps it inter- interesting with his commentary. Uh, Horner with the natural bridge, of course. And now we go into a highlight of a muscular dystrophy fundraiser, and he Tim Horner re- arm wrestles the chairman of the foundation, and he the chairman gets an assist from one of the MD kids to get – to beat Horner and uh, I had some really nasty notes that I was going to put in right there and I already kicked them out. I can't even go there either. Um, If Horner was a heel, that could have went entirely different. Let me put it that way. Well, uh, yeah, but here's my problem. They've even got the kids cheating. Even the kids don't know who wants to be a heel and a face. I'm so confused. So we get Bob Armstrong at the desk uh, well, actually, Tim Horner's at the desk, and he keeps saying he wants another shot at Dirty White Boy. Then Bob Armstrong meanders over to the desk, and he's got a wanted poster with Brian Lee's picture on it. I can get behind this. <laughs> a $10,000 bounty on Brian Lee. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Brian Lee comes out, and he's he's concerned. He said, do you know what a man would do for $10,000? Yes, Brian, you do. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, no, what? We know what you would do for $10,000. And now he, the, now the line of the night, since we're not going to do formal awards without Justin being here and the TV episodes were cut short, kind of, since the first show is a recap. The line of the night, by far, unless you have picked something else out of this, was Brian Lee says now he's got to worry about somebody bringing a gun to the ring. <laughs> okay, now let me let I cannot help but how you say interject. You're in the South. You are in the South in redneck territory. Everyone has a gun. Con, you know, consign yourself to this. Everyone has a gun. Beulah has a gun. The little kid with the Ray Mysterio mask has a gun. We all have guns. Do not worry about that, Brian. You need to worry about somebody with a slapjack because we consider that fair play and you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One gun gets pulled out and that whoever pulls the gun is going to get about 26 holes in him before he ever even before he ever even knows what hit him. That's right. All you had to do around that time was jump up and go, "Yeah, Bill Clinton, woo!" and it'd been over with. That's it. So yes, yes. I mean, we 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 are to the point now where Brian Lee is concerned for his life about being blown away on television. 
This could have been the Brian Pillman moment of his career if they'd have just played it right. It could have been. Yeah. The the, the Pillman at the end of Raw. Oh, God, he's got a gun. They're going off the air. <laughs> yeah. After Stone Cold tries to drown somebody in a kiddie pool. That was awesome. But anyway, back, back to this. Uh, uh, so we get Cornette and the bodies. And Cornette's oh, mama puts up $10,000 to get a rematch against the Fantastics. And... Uh, Cornette yeah. does get a little concerned in this interview, which is cute, because he says, you guys ain't going to let my mama lose her $10,000. And Stan Lane, he reassures him that that would not happen. Now, and where does mama get said money, Richard? <laughs> the Fantastics <laughs> says, no, that they are not going to take the match, that they can wait. And he says, Bobby Fulton says, Cornette's mama was walking the streets of Louisville to get that money. <laughs> What? (laughs) Okay. So within five minutes, we talk about gunfire, Brian Lee potentially being assassinated, and now we have uh, Hooker talk. And this is 1992. Yes. Yeah. Well, see, this is all in a big circle because you're talking about gun violence and people talking about each other's mama. Those two are closely related. True. And, oh, and it's another $10,000. Could they not have come up with a different amount? We're going to put a $10,000 Brian Lee, and we're going to put $10,000 up for a rematch. It's like, could, it, could it have been like 15000 or, or just something arbitrarily different? Maybe that was the minimum above the poverty limit in 1992. I don't know. I can't even remember. Um, match number two is the Heavenly Bodies against Danny Davis and Tommy Angel. And uh, since the last time we've seen Tommy Angel, his hairline has took a drastic turn for the worse. It was running from his face. <laughs> he, he cut off his mullet, which actually made his hair look even worse because uh, he, he needs to ask Stan Lane uh, his personal opinion on what to do. Now, Dutch Mantel <laughs> during this match rates a swing and neck breaker a 9.8, and Bob Cottle absolutely loses his shit again. <laughs> I, I honestly thought Curtis was going to have to come out of the ring and lay hands on Bob before this match was over with. Yeah, yeah, because Bob definitely was not too happy that uh, that Dutch gives a 9.8 to a, a body's maneuver. Uh, the bodies win in a squash. They pin Tommy Angel. Um, not my, any anything to add to that match besides, <laughs> besides Dutch yes. pissing off Bob Cottle. It is what it is. That's all you could say. Yeah, it was a squash match, which is okay. I mean, you need some of them. And, and, and to- I like Tommy Angel as a jobber, uh, like a lower mid-card jobber. Uh, oh, yeah, and that's something we're missing nowadays. They try to make everybody a star or of the same level. You know, every once in a while, you just need somebody to just get the crap beat out of them. Yeah. Cue Heath Slater. Yes. Uh, we're at the desk with Buddy Landell. I can't believe he's still there. He's got Paul Lee with him, though. <laughs> he says he's going to use him, which is hilarious. <laughs> he said, no, I mean, I'm going to put your talent to use. Good old Buddy. Oh, so match number three is the Nature Boys, Buddy Landell and Little Nate, Paul Lee. And uh, <laughs> if you want to find out why we call him Little Nate, just go back a couple episodes because that's probably uh, – one of the better moments we've had. The crowd literally goes ape shit crazy for the Rock and Roll Express. Again, God almighty. Uh, you would think that Elvis Presley was reincarnated and it was actually walking down to the ring hand in hand with Jesus Christ himself. 
It was close to that moment, sir. I still have chill bumps having just rewatched it. Yeah, God. Okay, now the stud stable comes down to ring to commentate on this match. And you just have to listen to it. Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden are great. Fuller especially because he just he knows exactly what to say and when to say it and how to say it. Um, the, so the commentary in this match is good. But poor Bob Cottle having to put up with that. <laughs> he was outnumbered badly. So Paul Lee keeps trying to tag Buddy during this match. And every time he gets kind of close, Buddy backs off, and then he jumps out like he was trying real hard <laughs> to tag him. Uh, <laughs> double drop kick for the win on, on, against on Paul Lee. After the match, Buddy, he's, he's, he's standing over Paul Lee, just giving him the business, like, how could you let me down like this and lose? Because and, Buddy Landell didn't do anything except stand there. Yeah, and, I mean, come on, Landell... Who knows what could have been with him? I mean, what a great talent. On the mic, wrestling, the whole nine yards. Oh, yeah. And I like that they, they're giving him a little something here with Paul Lee. Just to, He's like got somebody under his wing. Now, we got uh, Down and Dirty with Dutch. Uh, he's got Dirty White Boy and Ron Wright. And uh, Ron says he just got out of his hospital bed to make sure that uh, Dirty White Boy didn't get robbed of the belt. Uh, he's got the hip implant surgery coming soon. He says he's fight. Uh, Dirty White Boy now says that he's a fighting champion. He would fight Garvin, Orndorff, Rock and Roll Express, Fantastics, or the Bodies. Now that's an interesting choice of words because then Dutch asked him about Tim Horner. Dirty White Boy says, "I hate to tell you, but you ain't in the category it takes to get the title. No shot in your future. You ain't proved nothing to me." I like the way the angle's starting to play out. Let's put it that way. I like the foundation they're laying here. That the yeah, because boy, it's, not going to take it, him seriously. It, yeah, and it's it's putting the baby face in the corner of having to prove himself to even be worthy because, you know, Dirty White Boy, you know, yeah, I fight him. I fight, you know, people that he knows could beat him. You know, yeah, I'll fight him, I'll fight him. And then when Horner, nah, not so much. I ain't worried about him. He ain't, he ain't even in the middle league. Just go away, little man. Pretty I, I love how they're setting it up. Yeah. So we know that's coming, and we don't know exactly where it's going to go, but uh, we, we know that it's coming. Match number four, Robbie Eagle. Oh, God. Against Brian Lee. And I made a note here. It looks like there are 40 children in the front row, and they've all got blue masks on. They, are we, do we have a luchador breakout in North Carolina? Has Juventud Guerrero let his Hoovy Juice run wild in 1992? I don't know. What, what month was this show made? Uh, August, 1992. August. Yeah, that was harvest season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Bob and Dutch um, – yeah, yeah, okay. So Bob Cottle, Jesus Christ. Bob says that we he he talk, talks about Brian Lee, six foot eight and two hundred and eighty pounds. And we don't really need that reminder because every freaking week Brian Lee reminds us exactly how tall and how much he weighs. Because it's <laughs> he thinks this is an episode of Jenny Craig or something. That he's on some sort of a blow away diet. Yeah, I'm six foot eight, two hundred and eighty, unless I take a big crap, and then it's two seventy four. That's an awful big crap. Uh, <laughs> so, pretty quick match. Uh, Bob and Dutch talk about their friends during this match, which is hilarious because Bob calls like, "I can't believe you'd want to even be associated with 
some of you, those guys and, and Dutch is offended that Bob's offended. So, <laughs> uh, and they, they, the reason Uh-oh. they're doing this is because there's absolutely nothing going on in the ring. Um, yeah, obviously pretty quick cancellation squash. Here comes the fat dude again, the Mongolian mauler. He lays Brian Lee out, takes off. He is basically, he's basically a white short Abdullah the butcher. If, if you want to go with a little bit of hair and no blade marks, uh, is that yeah, it's a bizarre? Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. It's, I don't know what the heck they were going for right there. No. So then we go into match number five, five matches on one TV episodes because the four of them squashes, but this one I got is not a squash match. It's Ronnie Garvin and Paul freaking Orndorff. And uh, there's a five-year-old kid in the front row that gives the up your sign to Orndorff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we believe in the First Amendment down here. Uh, it was a good, I mean, this is another beat the crap out of each other match. Uh, they do a lot of pile driver teases in this match. Uh, Garvin gets Orndorff in a sleeper, and that's a play back on fire on the mountain. And... Uh, it did put him down on fire on the mountain, but here he didn't get it. He tried to go for the pin. Orndorf gets his foot under the ropes. Garvin gets a backslide, almost another three count, and then he just just obliterates him with a couple of headbutts. The hands of stone punch almost gets another three. Try to pile driver again. Then Garvin gets him up. He finally does get him up off the ground, but Curtis pulls Orndorf back down. Garvin, he's mad. Then he just drops Orndorff again. He now, now gets him with a Garvin stomp. I mean, they're beating each other to death. And Ronnie Garvin's really laying it in. And uh, another pin just gets two. Orndorff headbutts Garvin between the legs. Now, uh, Orndorff calls for pile driver. He gets him up. Gar- he pulls Garvin back down as a callback to earlier. And he does it again. Orndorff slaps Curtis around. Garvin rolls him up with a handful of tights, which looked like that would have been a three. But instead, Mark Curtis calls for the bell, and he disqualifies Paul Orndorff. Uh, Orndorff. Now, at the end of this match, please, if you don't, if you don't watch, yeah, brown pants again. If you want to watch somebody, some kid get absolutely scared to death, legit. Orndorff grabs a chair. And for some reason, I don't know if this kid said something to him or if he was just doing it, but he hits the rail with the chair, and the kid is standing about two inches from the rail. When Orndorff hits the rail with the chair, the kid goes into the 33rd row of ringside. He is gone. He jumps back, craps his pants. He didn't know He didn't know what to do. But if you want to see somebody actually legitimately scared, Orndorff scared the crap out of this kid. And uh, the and honestly, who could blame the kid? Because I mean, if you watch this back, I, he smacks it so close. Yeah. I thought the I thought the kid still had his hands on the rail and jumped back because he had broken every bone in his hand. I mean, it, that's how legit and how close it was. It uh, it was funny, but at the same time, you know that if that that kid was that kid was there without his daddy. I guarantee it because had he not been, his daddy would have been over that barrier, you know, trying to beat the power out of Orndor, and he'd have brought about 17 cousins and kinfolk with him. Yeah, I mean, that's legit. He, I don't know if he was mad at the kid or if he didn't mean to hit it as close as he did, but I, he, 
he slams the chair into the rail, and this kid flies backwards. We've got to see the end of this episode just for that. Okay, so the main event here, that was a um, a different kind of match than the Fire on the Mountain match, but probably, honestly, this TV main event was actually, uh, it was on par. I'm not sure if it was better, but it wasn't, it was really close to being just as good of a match as they had on Fire on the Mountain. Oh yeah, well, and once again, this is this is just nitpicking on my part. But if he's already got him rolled up, do the three count. I mean, I, I don't know if they were trying to still give Orndorff the legitimacy of not being able to get the pinfall or what. You know, I don't know exactly what they're shooting for here. But you know, you'd think they go ahead and let him get the pin count. But maybe they're building up this, you know, frustration. You know, you can't beat me no matter how many times you've tried. I don't know. We'll see what happens next episode. Yeah, I think they're just, they're still building on this one. That that didn't bother me as much because it's a TV main event and you don't want to pin Paul Orndorff if you don't have to. So, yeah, exactly. And the fact, you know, so I can see both sides of it. It just, I don't know. It, it, it looked weird. If you're going to go for the DQ, don't have him roll it up but maybe they're shooting for something bigger here that i'm not seeing we'll see yeah and, and we go to the desk with, with uh, ronnie garvin to end the episode and um he says uh, that everything's out of hand you know he was semi-retired he was pretty much retired he was going to uh just come out of retirement for one match to help brian lee but paul orndorff's under his skin and he says he's going to pile pile drive orndorff for life <laughs> I don't don't exactly know what that means, but nowadays that'd be a marriage proposal. <laughs> yeah, uh, come here, boy. Love is in the air. Oh, sorry. Okay, so yes, he's got a pile driving for life, and uh, he says it with conviction in his voice, and I believe him. Yes, I honestly believe he would try to pile driving for life as well. So. Uh, we're out of episode number 30 now, TV. So we get the two TVs in. Uh, hopefully next show, Justin will return and be back with us. And we'll go over uh, at least two, maybe three TVs, depending on how they fall. Um, hadn't exactly figured that out yet, but uh, wanted to go ahead and get a show in. Uh, just scheduling conflicts. Justin wasn't able to get on tonight, so we hate that. But he'll be back next time. And I got, I'm sure that he's, Going to be more than excited that Brian Lee's not the champion. As is, if nothing else, Justin is going to be elated about that. Uh, yeah, between the people laying hands and Brian Lee losing the championship, he's liable to break in here singing chorus songs uh, from the church or something. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. That's right. Okay, so now we are out. Uh, we've we've hit two more TV episodes. Um, we're on the right track. Uh, Smoky Mountain heading in a good direction still. Uh, I really like where they're building the, uh, maybe not the best feud in the world, Dirty White Boy Horner, but you can only have so many face challengers. You've got to have, I mean, every once in a while, you got to have that Bob Holly against Brock Lesnar match. Oh, yeah. And like you say, I, I don't want anybody to think we're, you know, think wrong of us. We do nitpick a little bit, but overall, the general direction they they've got a good you know head of steam going, and I think they're heading in the right direction. It's just you know a couple of the booking issues. Looking back on it, you know hindsight's twenty twenty, 
you know, it, it might they might have done them a little bit different and sped the process up, but overall, I think they're doing good things. Yeah, and uh, the the thing is, we've got we got a lot of good storylines going on. We still have the bodies and the Fantastics, and the Fantastics are trying to keep them at bay. We've got Brian Lee and the Mystery Man, or if nothing else, Brian Lee and the ten thousand dollar bounty. We've got uh, yeah. Dirty White Boy not wanting to give Tim Horner a shot, but Horner wanting a shot. Buddy Landell's taking Paul Lee under his wing, which is just a probably a TV angle, which is fine. Uh, Dixie Dynamite and Killer Kyle still got their deal going on. The Stud Stable and the Rock and Roll still got their deal going on. So it's like everything in Smoky Mountain has a purpose. One thing that Cornette does real well is he compartmentalizes the, the shows and he makes sure that there is nothing on there in the show that's just a filler. Everything is building towards something. Even the squash matches, it's putting over the fact that this guy's about to get with this guy and Dutch and Bob on TV can can get it get the fans interested in it so they'll come to the next big card in Johnson City or Knoxville. Well, like you say, I mean, everything, everybody has their place. There's a story going on. People are not jumping from one story to another without any conclusion or any forethought. And some of the duality of it, you know, he he's got on one hand – Dirty White Boy doesn't want to give Horner a title shot, so you automatically hate Dirty White Boy. But at the same time, you got the face Fantastics over here not wanting to give their challenger a title shot. So I, I don't know. It, it conflicts you. It keeps your mind wandering. And he he is. He's great at that. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're heading out to uh, a couple more TV episodes on the next show. Um, Andy, anything you want to leave us with tonight before uh, we wrap this one up? I would just like to say in honor of our fallen comrade, fuck Brian Lee. There you go. All right. So for, for the missing Justin Edgel, uh, who will return the next episode, hopefully here in a week or two when we, when we get another one out, uh, we had a little vacation, but we're back and hopefully we'll get a couple episodes in this month. So for the missing link, Justin Edgel and, uh, our redneck compadre, Andy Waddell, I'm Ricky Wittenberg and another fire in the mountains. In the books.